really what I am aiming for this morning. And that's what God is aiming for in the text that He has before us this morning is that we will rest in Him alone. So when you leave here today, I hope you're more rested in Him than you were when you came in here. We are in the book of Romans. Uh, Our study is, we're in chapter 8, working our way towards the end of chapter 8. We will set it in context in the midst of the sermon. So I'm going to read from verse 26 in chapter 8 down to verse 34. And then we will look at 31 to 34 this week and then 35 to 39 next week. This section breaks down neatly into this legal portion and then love portion, um, which we will see. Romans 8, 26, this is God's Word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Thank you for your great salvation, Father. For your free to us salvation. Costly to you, Lord Jesus. Cleanse us from our sin. Fill us with your spirit. Rest our souls in you and in you alone. We've sung it. Help us to walk in it because of your grace. And that glorious grace shouted to us from these verses of a full, secure, eternal, righteous standing before you as your children. We praise you and thank you for your word, for your spirit that applies your word, your son who has purchased your grace for us. Help us, Lord, to love you, to love your word, to hear it as your word, to live in its light. So help me to preach it in the power of the spirit and us to hear it with intent in the power of the Spirit, that we might remember it, rehearse it, rejoice in it, and walk in it. So we commit ourselves in this time to you. We ask for it and trust for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Many of you might remember John Gotti. He was the boss of the most powerful crime family of that time, the Gambino family. Very flamboyant man. He was called the Dapper Don because of the way he dressed and carried himself. But he got another nickname in the 80s. And that nickname was the Teflon Don. And why might that be? 
Well, the reason they called him the Teflon Don is because though the government would bring many charges against him and take him to court, he kept being acquitted. The charges wouldn't stick. He would be found not guilty. And so he would walk out of the court smiling in his very expensive clothes. And he was kind of a media darling. So they called him the Teflon Don. But they eventually caught up with him. See, one of the things he was doing was jury tampering. He was, he was convicted later of jury tampering and juror misconduct and witness intimidation, of paying people to vote not guilty, of threatening people so they would vote not guilty, of shaping the system so that he would get away with his crimes that he was definitely guilty of. And eventually, the Teflon for the Teflon Don wore off and became Velcro. And then the charges stuck. And then he went in prison where he stayed and he died there. So he was a temporary Teflon Don. But I want to talk to you today about your permanent status being clothed In gospel Teflon, if you want to put it that way. Your not guilty verdict. If you are a Christian, if you have repented and you are trusting Christ, if you have turned to Jesus and received Him and are trusting and resting in Him this morning, number one, God did that in you. We saw that last time when we talked about those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Salvation is of the Lord. Even the faith He requires, He gives. We'll we'll see. But if you're a Christian, if your hope is in Christ, you are coated with this gospel Teflon. No charge will ever stick to you in God's court. You are forever not guilty. So far in our study in Romans, we've kind of seen how Paul can can say that to us because he started out showing us that we all are sinners in need of Savior. Jew and Gentile, all sinners, all fall short of the glory of God, all need a Savior. He also showed us that Jesus Christ is that Savior, the Son of God who lived for us and died for us and was buried and was raised from the grave, and that through faith in Him and faith alone we receive salvation as a free gift. We are justified by faith alone. And then we began talking about sanctification in chapter 6, how God then begins to transform us into the image of Son. Justification is an act of His grace. Sanctification is the work of His grace where He is renewing us and transforming us so that we're daily turning from sin to righteousness. We're repenting and growing in grace. We're looking more like Jesus because we're empowered by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. It's God working in those whom He foreknew those whom He predestined, those whom He therefore called, and those whom He justified and glorified. We talked about that last time. And then today, we just get it, so we're sort of summing up. We're summing up. We're ending in chapter 8. We're going to transition to chapter 9, and, and we're receiving comfort from the Lord here at the end of this chapter. And so in verses 31 to 34, uh, I titled it, Not Guilty in All Caps. Because that's what you what I want. Those of you who are trusting Jesus this morning, I want to walk you to walk out that door more confident than ever before that you are not guilty before the judgment bar of God. Because Jesus lived for you, died for you. Not because you're good enough, because He is. If you're not trusting in Jesus, then my call to you this morning is repent and trust in Jesus. Because you are guilty. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. And God has provided one. His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, today we're going to see the answer. The kind of the question for this section is sort of in the middle of what I'm going to preach in verse 33. But it's, it's this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any substantive charge, any charge that will stick in God's court? And we'll see that glorious answer as we look for it. But the main point, Christian, you are not guilty because of the Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit because of God's work for you. God is for you, so you are not guilty because of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We kind of see how that's broken out. First, we're not guilty because of the Father. Look at verse 31. And I'm just going to start slow and we'll work through. But he asks a question up front. What then shall we say to these things? And of course, that immediately points us to that summary we just looked at in verses 29 and 30 of His, his great and glorious salvation. The fact that He foreknew us. He set His love on us before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Therefore, He called us and justified us and will sanctifying and will glorify us. But it really, that really, that summary is really just a summary of everything we've studied in the book so far, isn't it? Because we started out with lostness and needing a Savior, justification, sanctification. We've moved through those things. And, and Paul is backing up a little bit and he's laying all the work of God's grace before you and saying, what shall we say to these things? This glorious work of God's grace. It's all previous in the book. Look, look what else he says. What shall we say to these things? And then look down a little farther. And I read the question already. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? So in this passage when we see us, us, us all, us, God's elect for us, for us. That's talking about the same people that we were talking about in verse 29 and 30. Those whom were foreknown, predestined, called, justified, will be glorified. What shall we say to these things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's really the question we're going to be answering today. The elect, those chosen. I'll point you back again last week. Look back in verse 31. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can successfully be against us? If God is for us to save us, who can destroy us? I'm telling you, if God is for you, you're good. You're safe. Nobody can defeat God in His grace. Not even you. You're in His hand. None can snatch you from his hand. And no, you can't peel his fingers back and jump out yourself. Wasn't your idea to get in there, and it won't be your idea to get out if he's working grace in you. If God is for us, I mean, he is. We just celebrated Christmas, right? What, what were one of the names we looked at? Emmanuel, God against us. Is that what that means? No. God with us. For us. Forever. One of the names of Jesus. If God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Well, not the Father. The first thing. Look what, look what it says in verse 32. Who, if God is for us, who can be against us? And many times when you see just God in the New Testament, that's a reference to God the Father. Right? God the Father. And look in verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. I'm telling you, the doctrines of grace are everywhere when you see it. He gave Him up for us all, for the sheep, for what He says in, the, in 33, His elect, for those whom He foreknew and, and on down the list. But you need to, I told you this last week, embracing the doctrine of election doesn't mean you'll have all your questions answered, but that's really the only place to find the security for your soul that you need, that you want. But look what the Father did. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? He didn't spare His Son. In fact, this is exactly why He sent His Son. And it's exactly why the Son came. And why the Spirit works through the Gospel. 
Because before the foundation of the world, redemption was orchestrated. It was planned. The Father would choose the people and give them to the Son. The Son would come to live for them and die for them and be raised for them and reign for them and come again for them someday. And the Spirit would work in such a way through the proclamation of that good news that they would turn and trust in Jesus. The Father's focused on the Son. The Spirit's focused on the Son that we might trust and rest in the Son. But look what the Father did. He gave him up for us. I mean, kids, y'all know it. I keep saying it. I'll get you to memorize it. John 3.16 literally should read this way. In this way or in this manner, God loved the world that He, what? Gave His Son. What did He give His Son to do? Jesus was born. Jesus didn't just pop out of heaven onto the cross, did He? No, He was born in humble means. He he came to live under His own law. Why? Because we have broken His law. See, we have broken it in thought, word, and deed. Romans, we've already seen it in Romans. We were His enemies. We were lost under condemnation, needing a Savior. So Christ, that law had to be fulfilled. Righteousness had to be fulfilled. Justice has to be satisfied. So Jesus comes and is born. We just celebrated the incarnation. He lives under His own law. The God-man, the great mystery, lives under His own law, fulfills it in thought, word, and deed. He is that Lamb of God, that spotless Lamb of God that was foreshadowed all through the Old Testament. And then at the right time, He takes our guilt upon Himself and goes to that cross and pays our debt. To such an extent that while he's hanging there before he dies, he says, to tell us die. It is finished. That means paid in full. So he lived a perfectly righteous life and then he paid a fully sufficient atonement or death on the cross for us. That's what it means when it says God gave his son for us. He gave him to live for us. He gave him to die for us. And oh, if he had just been raised from the grave on the third day, blew the doors off the tomb. Not that he might get out, but that we might get in and see he's not there anymore. Raised the third day according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day. And salvation is through faith in him. Are you trusting in him and him alone this morning? See, God gave His Son so that He would take our sin. This is what's called double imputation, right? Why did Christ live a perfectly righteous life? Well, to fulfill the law, to glorify the Father. It was true love for the Father, but it was for the people that we might have a righteous standing before God. So it's a perfect righteousness, right? So what happens is our sin gets imputed to Him or credited to Him and He pays that penalty on the cross so that His righteousness can be imputed to us or credited to us. Think about your sins of being on a piece of paper before the judgment bar of God and looking straight at your record, God should condemn you because you've not kept His law in thought, word, and deed. But on the cross, Jesus took that record with Him and obliterated it. And then you are credited with His righteousness so that your record... Listen to me, child of God. Listen to me, Christian. Your record before the judgment bar of God is righteous. Because it's Jesus' record. See, His cross dealt with paying the penalty for your sin and He gives you His record of perfect righteousness. So if you think of it as clothing, the filthy clothes of sin were taken off of you and put on Him and He paid that penalty in full. He took His clothing of righteousness, therefore, and put that on you. And on the basis of Christ's righteousness, God says, righteous, justified, child of God, salvation. He paid a debt he did not owe. We owed. And we get the grace we don't deserve. And if you think, well, I'm not good enough, congratulations, you get it. You don't have to be. There's no piece of this you have to earn. You don't have, you don't have to clean yourself up first. You can't. 
You come to the cross and kneel before the cross. I'm speaking figuratively, obviously. Look to Jesus. Trust in Him. And if you're trusting in Him, or if you do this morning, He will cleanse you from all of your sin, clothe you in His righteousness, and you will be accepted as a child of God. Because the Father gave His Son. He did not spare His Son. Isaiah 53.5 says, Jesus, talking about Jesus, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He, in other words, He paid the penalty. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And it's effective. By His wounds, we are healed. And listen, that's not primarily talking about physical healing, okay? It's talking about our spiritual healing from our sin disease that would bring condemnation. Sure, flowing out of that, the misery will all be taken away in God's time. So yeah, healing in that sense is in the atonement, but the timing is God's. And we will be fully healed and fully free when we're glorified in His presence in the new heavens and new earth forever. Here we're still going to walk through some misery, but we can be encouraged because it's, it's, we're not, Christ has paid for our sins. Look, look what it says. It's not the Father who's going to condemn us because He gave His Son up for us. And then Paul asked the question, if He did that, how will He not also with Him graciously, look at that word graciously, we don't deserve it, graciously give us all things. Everything we need is ours in Christ Jesus. This is a hard one to lace up. But everything you need today, you have in Christ Jesus to love and live for Him. And especially the redemption that He has brought to you because the Father gave the Son. But we've already seen it in verse 28. For those who love God, we didn't love God. And in conversion, we go from hating God, in other words, not joyfully glorifying Him, not joyfully obeying Him, to loving Him, growing in joyful obedience because of the work of the Spirit in our lives, applying the gospel to us. So when we trust in Jesus, that's a reflection of having been born again, having been given a new heart, a heart that now turns toward God and loves God and grieves when it fails to love God. And in verse 28, For those who love God, all things work together for good those who are called according to His purpose. I'll let you go back and listen to that sermon. And here it's saying, if He sacrificed His Son for us, He will graciously give us all things. All things now must work for us. Nothing can successfully work against us. Yes, it might hurt us in this life, but it will never eternally harm us. In fact, it will be used by the Master Sculptor to make us grow more and more and more like Jesus John, John Chrysostom, funny name, an early church father. He was called Golden Mouth. Evidently, he was a great preacher, right? Late 4th, early 5th century. He said this, <clears throat> yet those, because some people will still be against us and they will accuse us. It can't be successful. They will hate us. But he said this about, about the hard things and the hard people coming against us in sinful ways. He said, yet those that be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all that even without their will they become causes of crowns and procurers of countless blessing in that God's wisdom turns their plots into our salvation and glory. See how really no one is against us. God the Father justifies His elect on the basis of His Son. He does not condemn them. Number two, we're not guilty because of the Son. Look in verse 34. So, God won't bring any charge. He justifies. He declares us righteous on the basis of Jesus. Pardoned for all of our sin and accepted as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Remember, we're memorizing that definition. God justifies His elect. He doesn't condemn them. Look in verse 34. Who then is to condemn? Okay, so if the Father's not going to condemn us, maybe the Son is. Maybe Christ will. 
condemn us. Maybe He's mad at us. Look in 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Insert for us if you need to. More than that, He was raised for us. Who is at the right hand of God. What does that mean? He's reigning for us. And interceding for us. He has interceded with His life. He has applied that in the true temple in heaven. He is sitting on the throne, reigning for us. Yes, and like the Spirit, praying for us and interceding for us. He's not going to condemn us. He, from eternity past, purposed to come save us. And fully paid for the redemption that is ours in Him. Jesus, the one who died paying the penalty for our sins as the God-man. See, if just a man had died, that wouldn't save us. Right? And if God had died, that would destroy us. Y'all know that. If the divine nature died, everything would dissolve into nothingness. But the God-man, Jesus, the Savior, the perfect Lamb of God, came and lived, we've said, and died for us. Romans 8, 1, we've already seen it. Those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus took our condemnation. That's why He died. He was the Lamb of God who died for His people. More than that, who was raised, proving it all true, who is at the right hand, reigning for us, and who is interceding for us. So it doesn't take long on this one to see the Father's not going to condemn us. The Son's not going to condemn us. And I'm just going to bring back into this sermon just to wrap it up. The Spirit's not going to condemn us. We're not guilty because of the Father. We're not guilty because of the Son. And we're not guilty because of the Spirit. We've already seen as we've gone through Romans that we're born of the Spirit. The new birth through the gospel, the Spirit is the one that has agreed to apply the redemption purchased by Christ by bringing us new life through that gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes because it's the message about the Son that He empowers to use in our lives and to call us from death to life. We're born again by the Spirit. We're empowered and assured by the Spirit to live for Jesus. We saw that in chapter 8, 14 to 17. We're helped by the Spirit in our weakness. He prays and intercedes for us. We saw that in verse 26. We're connected to Jesus and kept in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We will never be lost and never be condemned. So is the Spirit going to condemn us? No. The Father will never condemn His children. He gave His Son for them. The Son will never condemn the children of God. He died for them. The Spirit will never condemn us because He applies that redemption to us and empowers us in that new life that He's called us to. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, Who can be against us? And again, when you read that, you have to read it. Who can successfully be against us? People will come against us in this life. Many Christians are persecuted to death. Right? But it only is victory. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Because of the redemption we have in Christ Jesus. So crown my head or cut it off. I win because He wins, not because I'm anything. Same is true for you. We win. We shall not be condemned. Father, Son, nor Holy Spirit will condemn us. Christian, you are acquitted of all charges. People will accuse you. You have enemies. You will be persecuted. But see... You're acquitted in the highest court, in the court that matters. In God's courtroom, you're acquitted. As Corey's preached 
more than once. That, that pile of evidence that was against us in our sin, Jesus took it upon Himself and dealt with that so that the charges against us may be dropped. See, Christ took our penalty so that we can be acquitted. And He didn't just cleanse us, He clothed us in His righteousness. You're acquitted of all charges in God's court. You're found not guilty. In fact, you're found righteous because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If God is for us, who can successfully be against us? No one. That's what John Chrysostom was bringing out. But listen, that doesn't mean we don't have enemies. And I want to highlight the, 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 the triumphant of our enemies, the trinity of our enemies that's spoken of in Scripture. We read of three enemies of the child of God in Scripture that will try to condemn us but won't be successful. The first is the world. And when I'm saying the world here, I'm talking about the sinful world system that has Satan as its prince. I'm not talking about creation or just people in general. I'm talking about that mass of humanity in rebellion against God led by the evil one. In fact, whose God is the evil one. See, I'm, before I was converted, I would never, never have said I was following Satan. But we'll see that that's true as we move on here. But the world, the world system, you, you know that the world on a daily basis, the world system hates you. Seeks to distract you and condemn you and destroy you and your faith. That world system that is organized by darkness that is opposed to the Lord Jesus. I mean, we see more evidence ever than ever in public of that now, in government of, of that now, in the laws that they're passing. And for this world system, the gospel that you proclaim is hate speech. Just to say that sinners need to repent and that Christ is the Savior may someday land you in jail. May someday land you in death. The world seeks to stamp out the gospel because why? It's prince is Satan who seeks to stamp out the gospel. But you ever tried stomping out a gas fire? I would encourage you not to do that. You will catch on fire. But it, as the gas spreads, the fire spreads. Up your legs and out from you. That's what happens when Satan tries to stamp out the gospel. We saw it in the book of Acts. The hotter the intensity got, the more the gospel spread. It's true today. But the world around you, those who don't know Jesus, hate the gospel. And you say, no, 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 I, I'm, not in, I'm not a Christian, but I don't hate the gospel. I don't feel like I hate the gospel. And ask you how you feel. If you're not receiving Christ, if you're not believing the gospel, if you're not receiving the gospel, you hate it in that you don't choose it. See, the world hates us. We used to run in its ways. And Christ says, don't be surprised if they persecute you. They persecuted me. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. You were, this is before Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What was, why, why was I doing that? Following the course of this world. See, the course of the world is in and towards sin and trespasses. Following the prince of the power of the air. If you don't know who that is, that's Satan. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He blinds the minds of unbelievers lest they see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and turn and trust in Him. Among whom, look at this, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What is the next two words in that book? But God... By grace gone down. By grace you have been saved. 
But that's who we were before we came to Christ. We didn't know it. We didn't feel it. But we were assimilated in that world system. We were following the ways of the world. Sure, we'll throw in a little religion and we'll do a little nice dressing and we'll act nice to our grandmothers. And, and... But we won't have Jesus rule over us. See, the world is tuned against God. It's like, I'm dating myself, but I don't know if you ever, if you ever watched uh, The Next Generation, Star Trek. TNG, Captain Picard, right? Do you remember the Borg? The Borg was one hive mind. Cybernetics, right? And they, they, they would say, resistance is futile. You will be assimilated. The goal is to assimilate. And they tried to, and in fact, for a little while, they did assimilate Picard into their hive mind. But he got away. The world's hive mind is rebellion against God. Lack of submission to God. And a condemning in one form or fashion or another of those who do submit to God and follow Christ. But it won't work. The world can't condemn us. In the courtroom of God. 1 John 5, 19-21. We know that we are from God. And the, watch this. This is the disciple of love, wrote the gospel of John. And the whole world, that evil world system, lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Don't let the world shape you into what it wants you to be. Know who you are in Christ. Know that there's no condemnation for you. That you're not guilty. Christ died for you. Christ took hell for you. Christ purchased you for Himself that you might now follow Him. See, we're going to talk about that tonight. Come and let's talk about discipleship. Being a disciple, what that means. It's having the true God in eternal life. Especially our young people. The world is flipping and flopping in all kinds of directions these days because they have rejected the knowledge of God because they've made man the center of all things and feelings the center of all things. And the worst sin you can commit is offending somebody. The gospel is offensive to the natural man. We have to be not just needlessly offensive. Don't be a jerk to people, right? But stand in the truth of the gospel and of Jesus Christ and the true God and eternal life. And know that you're defined by God, your Creator, and blessed and cared for by God, your Creator. Submit to Him and know that the world's charges against you will never stick. They will not stick in God's courtroom. How about the number two enemy? It's the world, the flesh. And the devil. We saw all of those in Ephesians 2, but you can bring Ephesians 2, 3 up again, Jordan, if you, if you want to. But Ephesians 2, 3, just look at verse 3. Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Rebellion against God. The flesh... Lust against the spirit we've seen and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh desires sin. That remnant of sin that is still in us seeks to lead us astray. Seeks to cause us to rationalize and justify sin. To think weak thoughts of ourselves so that we will keep giving into those temptations. The flesh will rationalize and excuse sin and seek to lead you astray. Your own heart will condemn... Child of God, your own heart will condemn you sometimes. You can be a true child of God and yet your heart will be condemning you. 1 John 3, 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and re look, reassure our hearts before Him. For not if our heart condemns us. Look at that. Whenever our heart condemns us, 
God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. But when our heart does condemn us, see, we need to be looking higher than our heart. We need to be looking higher than this world. We need to be remembering who we are in Jesus and know that sometimes our flesh is going to try to convince us that we're not believers. Look at me, believer. Look at me, Christian. Look at me, the one who's trusting in Christ. Some of you are still not doing this and you're suffering because of it. You're not in the Word daily, and that's generally speaking, but listen to me. Look at me. Train your heart daily with the Gospel. Redirect, reorient your heart daily with the Gospel. Why? We wake up hardwired legalists. We need the Gospel to set us back on Jesus. Help us remember who we are. You better train your heart with the Gospel, or your heart will be condemning you on a daily basis. You better be remembering who you were before you come to Christ and who Christ is and what He's done for you and therefore who you are in Him now. Not guilty. Cleansed from all of your sin. Clothed in His righteousness. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to love Him and grow in loving Him. To confess your sins when you fail and to pursue hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the world's charges against you won't stick. And the flesh's charges against you won't stick. But you better be training that heart of yours with this gospel and not Jiminy Cricketing your life. Follow your heart? No. Follow Jesus. And train your heart to follow Jesus. Because you've not been glorified yet. In case you didn't know that. And the flesh will still seek to condemn you. Lastly, i got to move. The devil, whose name Satan, whose name means accuser, adversary. The accuser of the brethren, Revelation 12.10 says. Look what Peter says in, at the end of 1 Peter. He says, so you Christian, be sober-minded. What's right? Think right. Heart set. Mindset above the sun on Jesus, who you are in Him. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How do I, how do I fight him, Lord? Cast the demon out of every bush I come across? No. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. But you have an enemy who's seeking to devour you. He wants to intimidate you. He comes at you like a roaring lion. But you know what? The gospel shows us that he doesn't have any teeth. Because Jesus knocked all those out. He might have tried to put some false ones in there. Some of them Halloween teeth. But the gospel shows us he doesn't. He's a toothless lion on a leash, a leash that is attached to the throne of God. And his accusations against us, though they are real, will never stick. Will never stick. As the story is told of Martin Luther when the devil came and was accusing him of all his sin. And, he, and when the devil was done, Martin Luther said, well, you forgot a few. Add this to the list, and this to the list, and this to the list. And then he said, right over all of it, washed in the blood of Christ. Now get back to hell where you came from. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. If you're not rooted and grounded in God's truth and in community being encouraged and training your heart daily with the gospel, you're going to suffer needlessly because you're not partaking of the means of grace. But the devil's charges will never stick. I've got to move. I've, I've used this before, but I want to show it to you again in case you're making notes and want to go back and look at it. Zechariah 3, 1 to 4 says this. Zechariah's prophecy says this. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now watch. And Satan, we get a courtroom picture here. Standing before the judge, standing before God in the judgment, the judgment bar, you have Joshua the high priest and you have Satan as the prosecutor. 
right? Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, now watch this, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Takes us right back to, uh, to uh, Romans 8, 29, right? The one, those whom He foreknew. The Lord who has chosen His people rebuke you. Is, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Is this not one that I have plucked? Is this not one of my children? Now watch, watch this. Now Joshua, was stand, now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed in filthy garments. So, so I mean, just looking at Joshua, the, the evil one's accusation was right. But he didn't have Joshua in the right picture. Now look what God said. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, to Joshua, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you in pure vestments. That's a picture of this grace I'm talking about. Yes, in and of ourselves, clothed in filthy rags. Devil there accusing. But God says, no. Is this not one of my children? Is this not one I have children, chosen? Is this not one I have plucked from the fire? That I have forgiven of all of their sin and clothed in the righteousness of my son. So just as Joshua was chosen, cleansed, and defended, so you too are, are as his elect, justified and successfully defended by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God is for you. So who can be against you? No one will ever be able to successfully condemn you if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll ask you one more time. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone this morning? Is your hope for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the only question I'll ask you. If so, if you're trusting in Christ, if you love Him with any love, right, true love, if you're trusting in Him, no, we didn't say you had a perfect faith, but are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are, God is for you. If you are, He has chosen you. If you are, He has plucked you from the fire. He has cleansed you from your sin and clothed you in His pure vestments of righteousness. No one will ever be able to successfully condemn you before the judgment bar of God. What was our question? If God is for us, and He is, who can successfully stand against us? What's the expected answer? No one. None can snatch them out of my hand. None can make a charge that sticks because God justifies Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and therefore no one can condemn. See, while John Gotti's Teflon was unjust and illegal and temporary, Yours is perfectly just and legal and eternal. It'll never be taken away. No charge against you will stick because Jesus Christ has satisfied justice for you if you're trusting in Him. He took your sentence so that all the charges against you could be dropped. He clothed you in His righteousness which is imputed to you all through faith as a gift. You can't earn, look at me, you can't earn salvation. You're not good enough. You're not powerful enough. And it would be offense to Jesus for you to try. Receive Him and His free grace. And if you are trusted in Him this morning, even the faith you have, He gave to you by the Spirit applying the gospel to you. You are clad, child of God, in this gospel Teflon if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. So next time that egg just slides out of that pan, remember those charges just slide right off of you. No charge will ever stick in God's court. You are, you are and always will be not guilty. To live is Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, this is your word. Help us to believe it. To trust you. To rest in you, Lord Jesus. To love you. To live for you. To be quick to run to your throne of grace for help in our time of need. To believe that you have completely forgiven and cleansed us. That you have clothed us in your righteousness. That we are already declared righteous by the judgment bar of God. We are the children of God who have been justified and are being sanctified and will be glorified someday. You will finish that work. So we thank you that you're for us. And as Corey prayed, help us to, to praise and plead, to remember the gospel. We live below the sun in this fallen world where there's much suffering, even for the Christian. But may we be ever looking above the sun to the judgment bar of our holy God and Father and Savior who has given His Son for us. And the Son, Lord Jesus, has come and fully purchased our redemption and the Spirit has applied it to us and will keep us in it. Every single soul you have justified, you will glorify. We praise you this morning that by you working your grace in us, you working repentance and faith in us, you have put us, united us to your Son and hidden us in your Son and that the eternal verdict of your judgment is not guilty. Lord, for those who don't know where they are over the internet listening to a recording, uh, maybe in the room who are not trusting you this morning, I pray for grace that they might look to you and trust and rest in you, Lord Jesus. For those of us who are, may we just rejoice in your grace and live free of condemnation. Lead hard on the power of the Spirit to glorify you. To not believe the world's lies or the flesh's lies or the devil's lies, but to believe your truth and live in your grace for your glory. Help us to encourage one another with these truths and be locked arm in arm together with one another that the world outside might know of this glorious and gracious Savior. Thank you, Father that because of your Son and the Spirit applying your gospel to us, for us, there's no condemnation. We are not guilty. No charge will ever stick. We praise you for it and thank you for it and ask it in the name of Jesus.